All right, can we start? Yeah, we can. Hello, my name is Dayo Moyo, and I'm speaking to you from Lagos, Nigeria. Good evening. What's your name and where are you speaking to me from? Um, my name is Poloko Mukwai, and I'm speaking to you from Masteru in Lesotho. Right. It's great to have you on this week's episode of the podcast. And the way I usually start this series of the, of the podcast is to begin with names. So if you do not mind, can you tell me the meaning of your native names? No, my surname means, unfortunately, Mukwai, but it's like a clan name. <laughs> no one has ever cared to explain it. But my name, Uloko, is usually given to boys traditionally. Boloko is a name given to boys because it says the protector, the keeper. And girls are usually given Mpolukeng, which is the pro, like the one who is going to be protected or the one who is kept. But my great-grandmother insisted that I should be named Boloko so I can be my family's keeper, I guess. All right, I love her. I love her so much. Now, the first question I would like to ask you, and I know that this is a question that would be on the mind of many people, is how come Lesotho is, or what does it mean when we say it's within South Africa? I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Okay, so it it's landlocked by South Africa, meaning that it's a whole country inside of South Africa, like the whole country is surrounded by South Africa, which is to say that all the intern all the pods that we have go through South Africa. For instance, if you live from Maseru, where I'm from, you're in like the other side is Lady Brand. If you're from Leribe, the other side is Tixbeck. And if you're in Mafteng, the other side is uh, I think it's Perenheng, but yeah, like the whole country, Kuti, not Gacha, when you're in Gacha, another district, the other side is KZN. So the whole country is surrounded by South Africa. So you cannot leave Lesotho without going to South Africa. Right. One would have thought that maybe, okay, for example, in Nigeria, we have like various parts of Nigeria. And so one would have thought like, I don't know if historically Lesotho is maybe could have been a, a part of South Africa before. How is it distinct and within South Africa? I think that's what I'm trying to wrap my yeah. head up. It was, yes. Lesotho was definitely a part of South Africa. The whole of Free State in South Africa is the Basotho people. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but Basotho from Lesotho and Free state Basotho, we speak the same language, we share surnames, and we even have families because I know my grandparents and some family members with the same surname stay in South Africa in Free State because free, the whole of Free State was part of Lesotho. But then during the whole apartheid thing, well, before it, when it was looming, King Moshesha I, who's the founder of the Basotho Nation, realized that the Afrikaners had stolen much of his land, like Free State, Drakensberg, and from the Eastern Cape. So the small portion that he had left, he decided that it should become the British Protectorate. That is how he was able to save Lesotho to become an independent country inside of South Africa. Right. In fact, when I was thinking about it today, I was thinking like during apartheid in in South Africa, was Lesotho immune to it or were you affected by it? <laughs> you know, there is no way we could have been immune to it because oh, I am so horrible at remembering dates, but there was a time when they came to, South, to Lesotho, the Africana Corps, and they killed a lot of Basotho people and other South Africans who were in exile here. In fact, most of politicians now had been in exile in Lesotho. Most people who were in exile came to Lesotho, but even Basotho who were innocent were killed. And there's even like a poster, well, there's posters of the protests where the Basotho people held out poster cards. And the one that I remember said, which means we are human too. 
we were really never immune. It affected us in a way too. Right. Now, the, the next question I would like to ask is, so if I go to South Africa as a Nigerian, do I need a visa to enter into your country? Oh, as a Nigerian. Yeah. <laughs> like I could just throw into the country, but or do I really need a visa to just come into the country? Do you know? I think you do. I think, do you need a visa to go into South Africa? Yeah, I think I do. I do need a visa to go into South Africa. <laughs> because also, I'd, most of our laws are a bit similar to South Africa. Like, we do the same things most of the time. All right. Now, let's talk about this. Something you mentioned in one of your answers about the king that carved out the land and then made it like present day Lesotho. And I want to ask, I was reading somewhere that... Um, the country has like a constitutional monarchy. And that's interesting. Can you talk to me about that? Oh, well, it used, well, the king back then used to be in charge, you know, had like a say in the government decisions. However, the current king, I don't know, but he has, he absolutely has no say. He agrees to everything that the, prime minister in charge says but then that is because they made him sign an agreement that he would not interfere with the running of the country if he wants to keep his status as a king so they came to an agreement that whatever the ruling government decides he will just co-sign it without without like you know refusing or trying to give them a different opinion so that's what he did because initially the king before, like the father of the current king had issues and he used to interfere when he did not agree with the decisions made. But then he ended up going, I think they sent him somewhere in like some European country. And then his son became the ruling king while his father was alive, which is something that is unprecedented. Then to keep the peace and for his father to come back, it was decided that the king would never interfere anymore. Wow. Yeah, and, and I kind of get that because in Nigeria, we still have kings. Like, it's not like um, Lesotho because the kings are not national kings. Like, they are kings um, various, um, will I say, uh, parts of the countries. And they are more like, there's the advice, they have advice, advisory role. And then they kind of also have like a small role in the community but they don't have like like the enormous role they usually have before um, colonialization. So I, I really get that. Now let's talk about the tribes in the country. Is Lesotho an homogeneous country or do you have diverse tribe within the country? Well, it's predominantly Basotho who live here. But then there are also other smaller tribes like Batebu and Baputing. The Batepu, like to explain further on, like, like how I said, every port in, South, in Lesotho is linked to South Africa. The port that leads to Eastern Cape, people could cross over and Basotho and the Tosa people were in relationships. So they ended up having their own small thing here, Batepu. We call them Batepu in Lesotho, but that I would say that Kosa, because I mean the language that they speak is Kosa in South Africa, but we call them Batep. Then Baputing is also another tribe that we have, but it is also a mixture, I think, with the Zulus in South Africa. So, which is also bringing up a confusion because I remember watching the news, I think it was late last year or early this year, but then there was a group of people who call themselves. Mahubi or Mahubi in Lesotho and they say that they would like to be recognized as a tribe and I since I study in South Africa I have a friend a Xhosa friend who told me about the Khubi in South Africa she had said something about how it was a mixture of the Xhosas and the Zulus but I'm, I'm not quite sure about that but yeah Right, I think I get that. But it now brings me to the next question. In terms of language, does it mean now that there is like a common language aside English yeah. in the country? Yes, it is so true. 
but Batepu have their own language and Baputi also, like Batepu speaks Setepu and then Baputi speak Seputi, but then Sesotho is the only language that is recognized. All right, so, so that makes sense in that majority of the people in the country are from the tribe Ba. Yeah. Exactly. Now talk to me, there was something interesting I read about and um, and it says that it there's kind of this variance in temperature in the country so that it can be very hot and it can also be very cold. Can you talk to me about that dynamic? <laughs> right now it is hell hot. Jesus, it is so hot those past few days. But yeah, the temperature can be very harsh, but and the winter, you know, the winter is insane. We have snow. Which and I joked that this year I said I told my sister that ever since Lesotho started getting good PR about snow, a lot like it has snowed a lot more times than it has ever had this year. But yeah, the temperatures are quite harsh. There's no in between. If it's cold, it's like so cold that it snows every other two weeks. And then if it's hot, it's so hot that we have a heat wave. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk food. What are some of the important food in the country? Honestly, if I'm being honest with you, Basoto have lost their culture in a way. <laughs> like, I don't know if, you know, we have food, of course we have traditional food, but the like, I only have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five for you that I made a research on your behalf. And I've only ever had two of them on this list. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But then something that we have is motoho wamabele. It is sogam. It is sogam that is non-alcoholic drink, but it's not like watery, but it is a beverage made of sogam. And it's very nice. You add sugar to it, but other people have it without sugar and it's sour. If you like sour stuff, you can have it without the sugar. But I always prefer taking my mutoho with sugar. And then, oh, and mutoho is usually made in winter because in winter, I get it, we have, we put out the fire for a long time. So to say, to not just have the fire on without anything, people prefer to cook mutoho. The same applies with duhobe. Duhobe is beans mixed with grain stew. It also takes quite a while to prepare. So the like this too, I know for a fact that they are winter meals because you put them on the heater to avoid just wasting the paraffin. The other three I've really never had, but it's nyekwe. Nyekwe is very popular. Every time at school, we have learned about nyekwe. And I, I think when I was in high school, I almost always had a test that asked what nyekwe was made up of. So it is a combination of beans, sorghum, pumpkin, oil, salt, and pepper. Then potele is bread mixed with spinach. The khetu is pumpkin with salt. Those are the five that I have. Right. Now, I wanted to ask this question. Um, we know, or I don't know, yet down west, we usually take South Africa. And I think this is true, that South Africa is a very diverse country in that when people are coming from the west, and I'm talking about the Western world, and they want to visit Africa for the first time, mostly it's usually South Africa. And um, yeah. like South Africa is usually the entrance. Then secondly, you have so many people from various African countries in South Africa, especially from Southern Africa. And so considering the fact that Lesotho has like this weather condition that is interesting, which you've even talked about in terms of they are trying to push it in form of PR. I'm wondering how diverse in terms of other people from other countries is Lesotho? Does that have an, is there an influx from South Africa? Is there a spillover from South Africa and the fact, coupled with the fact of the um, unique climate condition in the country? 
oh yeah people do come we have like great resorts especially in winter Afri ski people go for skiing from various countries but we also Lesotho is mountainous and if you're like you love hiking and stuff like that we offer all those kind of stuff it's this is why it is fondly referred to as the Switzerland of Africa so we have beautiful resorts where people can go we also have Gazay Dam which is one of the largest dams around well I'll say southern Africa that's for sure because it provides Lesotho with water and also some parts of South Africa. Then we have Sunny Pass, which, which also has the highest pub in Africa. It is a place that is very high. It is at a high altitude and you can go mountain biking and hiking or just driving. Then we also have dinosaur footprints, which is quite i think which is something i'm proud of because not many countries still have the dinosaur footprints right. in places like tabatsega and lirive and i think some lecturer from university of cape town came for a research in lesotho about the Afri- the dinosaur footprints that we have in the country and people come to look at them and we also have the caves where the Khoisan people, the indigenous people of the southern part of Africa, we had the Khoi people. I'm not sure if that's the same on the in the west part of Africa, if you guys had the Khoisans. But we have the paintings in caves where the Khoisans used to live. We still have those stuff available. Right. Interesting. Now, before I go to education again, something popped into my mind, and that is, the people, I think you've been mentioning it again and again in your answers, and I want to just get it straight. Citizens of the country are called what? Basotho. Yeah, so it does not matter whether, this is why I'm saying it can be a bit, you know, because as I've mentioned, we have Batebu, but everyone is called Basotho because I do know I have a cousin, my aunt married into the Batebu tribe, but we also call them Basotho, even though we know that that's not who they identify as. Yeah, it's like, I think um, Botswana too is in Southern Africa. Like some yeah. of our Botswana is called a Botswana. Is it Botswana? Yeah, I think. If it, yeah. it's Botswana, if it's an individual and if it's a group of people, it's Botswana. Yeah, right. Now let's talk about education. How is the education system in um, Lesotho. Um, So if I, the average um, person or citizen of the country, so it starts in primary school, how many years then? I is the secondary school and then the tertiary institution? Oh, well, people here go to school a lot. (laughs) But I think that's the case in the whole of Africa. Because let's say you go to preschool for God knows how long your parents wanted you to go, maybe. Sometimes you don't have a nanny, so other kids begin at a young age preschool. But the mainstream is from grade one to grade seven. Then the lower to middle school is grade eight to grade 10. High school is grade 11 to grade 12. Then varsity, which is maybe four to five years. Also, initially, what would happen is that from grade one to grade seven, at grade seven, you'd write an examination. Then the lower to middle school, which is grade eight to grade 10, at grade 10, you'd write an examination. And then grade 12, you also write an examinations, which are like you have year end examinations, but then At grade 7, grade 10, and grade 12, you have the nationally moderated examinations, which were marked by the Lesotho Examination Council, and they would be in the paper. So yeah, grade 7, it would determine, and they'd be in the paper in grade 10 and grade 12. However, that is changing because lately, well, they don't write grade seven and grade 10. They only write the national examination only at grade 12. I don't know why that changed. Yeah, I think it changes in many African countries. Um, even some other countries I spoke with, they say sometimes as administration changes too, 
they kind of employ new formats and the rest. Now let's talk about what year do you celebrate independence? I know at the beginning of this discussion, you've spoken that um, you kind of became a British protectorate. So what year do you celebrate independence? And um, what, what was the date of independence? The 4th of October, 1966. Wow. <laughs> Quite recent. Well, in my opinion, what about you guys? Right. I think I would not forget it because Nigeria, we celebrate our independence on October 1st also, but 1960. Oh, no. oh six years before Lesotho. Well, we got it in 1966 and I think that's when we had our first prime minister. And from what I've heard, the only decent prime minister worth writing home about. Right. Well, since he died, it's been shame after shame. Right. And I think it's not peculiar to Lesotho. It's like something that it just cuts across Africa. Most African countries, the leaders are, are kind of the issue, if you look at it. They are a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if I could tell, talk about what's going on politically. For instance, Lesotho is known as a democratic country. Yeah. And I remember particularly reading an article that said, I think it was an international article that said, Lesotho is one of the most democratic countries in Africa as it is, as it is one of the first to have <laughs> a coalition government. At the time, I think we had two parties that formed a coalition. But every other, I don't know, people vote almost, I think every other year now. Not like it's an exaggeration, but I doubt we've had a, the same prime minister for five years that they were meant to be sitting. And currently, we have, if not three, we have four different parties which form a coalition. And last year, I think when there was a COVID-19 outbreak, yeah. when all African countries were busy trying to figure out what to do with their lives, you know, how to protect their citizens, we were without a prime minister <laughs> and without a ruling really? wow. without a ruling party because they had fights within themselves and then the prime minister was forced to retire. Well, he was very old and he was embarrassing us, honestly, on, a, on an international level. But then they removed him. And as always, when we go without, South Africa has to step in. And whoever was in charge of Lesotho at the time had to tell us to go on lockdown. So then we had, I think, four parties that I knew of that, were, that had formed that coalition. But then with the new prime minister that they elected within themselves, it meant that the other parties weren't happy. So there were reshuffles and shuffles and reshuffles and shuffles without the people's input. And then they came and told us that, ah, here's your new prime minister and here are the parties that decided to join and here's the new deputy. Because the prime minister, the current prime minister, belongs to a certain party. And then the deputy prime minister is of a different party. And the other minister is of a different party. Like it is, uh -huh. I don't know. <laughs> it's not making sense. Nice. And then we, we have to go vote next year, but I'm not going. Why? <laughs> I don't want to waste my time. This would have been my first time voting, but... Uh, it's not looking, because let's say you vote, like I said, we vote, people voted for the prime minister and then he was removed and the parties that were inside the parliament that the people had voted for, some were not happy with the removal, some were, it was a mess and they reshuffled and brought their own people. So it's like, even if I go vote at some point, they're going to put whoever they want there and my opinion would not have mattered. So maybe it's not as democratic as it looks. Yeah, but, but what I've discovered, like I too, I've not voted before, but I'm open to vote in the next election, 2023. Be because what I've discovered is that um, 
when we vote, maybe it won't be counted, maybe it won't count, but at least we are making it more difficult for, for them to do what they want to do than if we do not vote at all. I think the leaders, especially those who are really corrupt, want, the, want to frustrate the people to the position where they don't even want to vote at all and they are not interested in how the country is governed. And when we get to that position in any country, then things just go a wire. They go down south from there. And so I think like, um, especially we young people across the continent, we need to begin to become political aware and begin to try as much as possible, maybe in a little way, begin to take back our countries because when it's all said and done, we are the one that would be left with whatsoever remain in these countries anyway. True that, and you're making so much sense, except there's really no party that I can say I can vote for. All the parties and the leaders of these different parties, at some point, they have all said, <laughs> I think our greatest sin as, the, as a country is agreeing to do a coalition, because since then, there's no party that has set for five years which is set and they keep shuffling and reshuffling meaning almost all the people that are trying to get votes now have been there and have done nothing so now it's like okay if I give you a chance now what are you going to do that you failed to do maybe three years ago right right I get and, and it's kind of I think like one way or the other that the youths of the country will arise. It's kind of difficult because of the dynamics of African politics. And trust me, even in Nigeria, so the issue with Nigeria, for example, is that we have so many parties, so many, maybe like 80 something or so, so many, but they are like two dominant parties. So there used to be one dominant party until I think 2011, where there was a coalition of a number of of parties and then they kind of produced an alternative. And then Nigerians were like excited that at last there's an alternative because since 1999, when we started like this fourth Republic, it's just one party that has been dominating. So we thought there's an alternative, but when the alternative came, we discovered that most of the people in the ruling party were the people that made up even the alternative we are talking about. And there has always been cross-carpeting since 2011. So in essence, we are not voting for new people, so to say. We are yeah. still voting for... <laughs> for those ones. And it gets frustrating. Right. It gets frustrating. <laughs> but I'm hopeful that little by little, I don't know if you heard about the protest in Nigeria last year, little by little, the youth oh. to rise up. In Uganda, for example, we have Bobby Wine. So in a way, the youth are beginning to just say, guys, you can't keep ruling us for, for God knows how long. We how long? Exactly. I did see the protest and I was following them quite closely. And I'm so sorry for all the lives that were lost in Nigeria. Watching what is go what is going on in Nigeria right now with all the at some point Twitter I think was banned. Even till now, Twitter is still banned. We we just use VPN. It's still banned. It's it's sad, and that's why I, I don't know. I'm just hoping 2023 like the youths come out because sometimes youths we just talk on Twitter and rant and rant and rant when it's yeah. <laughs> When push comes to show, we do nothing. Like, we just do nothing. It's, it's just what it is. I think we just choose safety. Also, it's because I, I think it's because we grew up with, our parents have been through this, have been through that. Like, life should be easy now. And it, I think it gets frustrating because you can, like, you're like, if my parents were protesting for something, I shouldn't be like it should be solved, but unfortunately, that's the, that's not the case. Right, but more on a more lighter um, topic. For example, I've been listening to you talk about Lesotho, like, and this is the first time I'm kind of really learning about the country, really learning about it. 
And so let's say I'm kind of interested in someone in your country and I want to marry the individual. What should I expect in terms of custom? <laughs> well, firstly, you're going to need to send, okay, traditionally what they would do is you'd write a letter to the girl's family letting them know that or your family, not you, sorry, your uncles preferably would write a letter to the girl's family, the uncles, to let them know that they have seen a flower in their house that they would like to pluck. <laughs> so you saw a flower and you would like to come get it. And then a date would be set where, the, where your uncles would come meet with her uncles and there'd be negotiations, which we call the Mahadi ceremony. Where, well, the first time you come, I'm not really, I'm not sure about what goes on there because it's male, it's like male dominated and females don't have much information. But I know the families would sit and then the girl would be asked if she knows your family, should be called in and asked if she knows your family. If she says yes, then the negotiations would go on. But if she says no, then they can't go on. Right. So let's say she says yes. What will now be the next step? And then you don't set how many cows they want from your family. And then you'd bring the first part of the cows, maybe on, a set, on that day. And then they give you the next date where you come pay off your debt. Then once you have paid off everything, she is officially, traditionally your wife. So is there like a traditional uh-huh. wedding and then maybe a church wedding or something? <laughs> yes, there is a traditional wedding where she would wear a sushwe and you would also wear a sush. Well, you would wear a sushwe shirt and whatever pants you want and would sing songs, you know, it'd be happy, you know, sending her off and she would also have a blanket on her shoulders but because she's marrying into a different family let's say you're a Mosoto guy at the girl's home there's not much tradition that goes on you know we're just sending her off then there'll be and then there'll be maybe a white wedding but then at the guy's family which is where there's most that's done if you're a Mosoto guy it means your bride would come to your home. Well, before, the night before she goes to your home, there's a court of adults who are married and your bride is there being given advice by elderly women and also some men, you know, to just offer advices. Some of the advice I don't really agree with, but nevertheless, it's given. (laughs) Because I always found it funny how the wife is almost always told that you never ask your husband where he is from, no matter what, no matter how late he comes home. And I think it's quite weird because you stay with me and I think I need to know where you are in case an accident happens. I mean, it's not disrespectful to want to know where your partner is at a certain time of the night if they're not home. But yeah, they are there and they give them advice on how to make their marriage work. Then the next day at the guy's home, a sheep would be slaughtered in the name of a new wife where she'd receive a new name. Usually the name given is the name that would also, the name that would be given involves the name that would be given to that first child. For example, my mother was named Mapoluko. And so I came along as Poluko. Oh, and when she's there, the sheep that's been slaughtered on your wife's behalf has, um, you know, the ribs of the sheep, your wife would be offered the ribs of the sheep. And this is usually before she's given a name. If you're give, if she gets the ribs, as soon as she gets the ribs, she should not touch anything from that sheep that has been slaughtered. She has to say, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. You know, you have like you have to pack your own food so that you don't eat the meat from that sheep, especially the ribs that you're given. So you have to say, I'm not hungry. And the people that accompanied you, you'll have maybe two people from your family, maybe your two sisters or two friends 
who went with you around the same age. Neither of you are meant to eat the food. You have to say, you know, I'm okay. I'm not hungry. Because if you eat the food, the the people like your in-laws will say you're a dog. Right. <laughs> and you're greedy. And your name sometimes might be so horrible <laughs> just right. because you ate all the meats. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Now, you, you touched on something I want to just, like, hear your view on before I go to, like, the fire round question I usually ask every guest. And that is, so, in Africa, there are traditions, like, this conservativeness culture, which sometimes is a good thing, but sometimes there are some aspects in which, like, this generation is beginning to, like, revolt against and for example, in Nigeria, Nigeria is like, like there's this vibrance because maybe because Nigerians, like many people just go out of the country and then when they come back, there's this like diversity in thoughts, Nigerians challenging the status quo, wanting to do things differently. I want to know in the country of Lesotho, is this still more of like, are there ladies beginning to push the boundaries or there's still this conservativeness within the country. Can I get a sense of that? Uh, like I said, before I went to varsity, my first day of varsity, I was still quite closed-mindedness. By the way, my grandmother thinks I hate men because I'm always thinking <laughs> about my gay country. <laughs> let's, is so let, let's clear the air. <laughs> Today, once and for all, in case she would listen to this podcast, with the stretches of the imagination. Poloko, do you hate men? I love men. I do. <laughs> I'm honest. I do. I think the argument, like you're saying, we are now trying to question this, like the traditions, the, like the idea that I hate men came about a conversation I had with her. She was visiting my place and so I'm a reader. I love reading. So I felt bad because I'd been reading the whole day and I was not paying much attention to him. So I go over to him like, yeah, I was reading this book, you know, to make a conversation. I told her it's, a, I was actually reading It, Pray, Love. So I was telling her about how the main character did not want to have kids with her husband. And she would like be so relieved every time the pregnancy test came back negative. And so I was telling her about the part where she was crying, begging God for a sign. And then she decided to leave her husband because she realized that she can never give him what, she, what he wants, which is to have a family. So then my grandmother thought she was being crazy because why on earth would you get married if you never want to have kids? And so I said, you know, people get married for different reasons. Sometimes it's companionship, love, you know, having a life partner. Kids are not always the end goal. And she said it was crazy. And somehow, oh, and somehow the conversation started going to family dynamics. And then she said something that in Sesotho, it's Munna Kimoko So it translates to if you've grown pumpkin, you've seen that it spreads, right? And then if you grow a cab like cabbage, it comes together, it does not spread. Right. So it's the ideology that a man can spread. We were talking about the in terms of fidelity. And so it was like a man can spread like a pumpkin, but a woman should be like a cabbage and come together. And so I thought, no ways. If it's either we're all pumpkins or we're all cabbages, because we cannot function in a system where one is busy spreading and now the spreading one comes home with a virus, let's say HIV, and then he starts abusing the cabbage, accusing the cabbage of spreading, knowing for a fact that he's the one that spread. And so then we started having this whole conversation about how some of those things are very patriarchal and how I would never want to settle with a man that still holds some of the ideologies that she held. And so I was telling her that because of her age, she still holds like space for patriarchy you know right. she holds space for patriarchy because of how she was raised and that it was not fair that she wants me to have 
you know, similar ideas. So every time something happens and I tell her that I know this because I'm like, I'm an open person and I get along with my grandmother. So I share my opinions with regard to patriarchy and my disagreements with it. That is how she came about with the fact that I don't like men, but I don't, it's not the men that I don't like, but it's the patriarchal system that we live in. Like, I know there's a saying that not all men, it can, yeah, when there's a trend, especially the late trend that says hashtag men are trash. I'm not sure you guys have that in yeah, Nigeria. And then there's a trend that says hashtag not all men. And I said, I don't think when we say as women, when we say men are trash, hashtag men are trash, I don't think we mean it in a sense that each and every single guy is trash. But what we're trying to say is that every single guy, though, does benefit, sorry, does benefit from patriarchy, the system of patriarchy. And I got this from watching this show called Dear White People. It's a great show. And this guy explained racism in this way that it's like when you have a dog and your dog bites someone else, it's not you who specifically, like it's not you that beat that other person, but it's your dog. And since the dog is your responsibility, you have to apologize and make amends for the dog. So I would say patriarchy is the same thing. Like not all, of course, I agree that there are some great guys out there, but even the great guys benefit from the patriarchal system and the very nice guys actually get away with shitty behavior because they are worst of guys in the world. So the patriarchy, I think, is what we should all co- collectively fight against because it's also affecting men negatively. The fact that if a man does not does not have you know money to provide for his family, he's not man enough. That's the reason why mental health is such a huge problem in men and why most men commit suicide as compared to women because men don't cry and in Sesotho it clearly says which means that a man should be like a sheep and not cry and that and that stems from patriarchy meaning that patriarchy by dismantling patriarchy is not just on behalf of the women but on behalf of the men too because right now we're all struggling and I love the fact the way you ended it because when you said like men benefit from that system. I also wanted to add add that there is this also part in which it's affecting men negatively. And I love that you kind of balance this out. Now let's talk about the the last fire round questions. So the first of the two is, can you sing the national anthem of Lesotho? (laughs) I can sing it. Um... Lesu to fatila bonta daruna Harama fatile lita kilona Kimori shahilen Kimori hutilen Riale rata Modi moako polo kelesotu and then it ends with hearts of Pula Nala, which are which the three of them are all represented on our flag. Right. And and talking about the flag. First and foremost, thank you for trying that out. I really appreciate it. But talking about the flag, I want to talk about the symbol in the middle of the flag. What does it represent? Okay, first let me explain the colors. Okay, the colors, we have, we have white, blue, and green. The white is khodzo, which is khodzo, which means peace. And then blue is for pula which is rain and the rain represents the blue the blue for rain represents that with rain we will have the rain will help our crops to grow and for the ground to be fertile for our agriculture i think because lesotho 
is also seen as an agricultural sport. So the rain is for that. And then the nala is green, which is for the abundance. In the middle of the flag, it is the mukohoto, which is a straw head. Now that is our head that represents the Lesotho as a nation. Like that is our traditional head that Basotho wear, especially Basotho men, they would wear that maybe to Bohuta to talk about, to speak of whatever. But also the straw head is all, also represents the peaceful nature of the Basotho people. This is why in fact the white is for peace, but in the straw head also commemorates that we're a peaceful nation because of this one thing I can proudly say about my people as Basotho people were known as the most peaceful people, honestly. Right. I get that. Yeah. Right. So final question for you is, can you say I love Africa in your native dialect? Yes. Kerata Africa. Right. Thanks a lot for taking out time to speak with me. I really appreciate <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you. And by the way, you said you're Nigerian. So what ethnic group do you belong to? Yes, yeah, so Because I know there's Yoruba, Igbo, Hausa, Oyinbo. I hope I'm saying them right. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> yes, I'm from Yoruba tribe. Okay. Yeah, so we're in the and western part of the country. And so how do you say I love Africa in Europe, Yoruba? So in Yoruba, I love Africa. It's Moferon Ileadulawo. Moferon oh. Ileadulawo. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> one last question too on my part. I don't know because I really don't have, <laughs> I've never really met any Nigerian people I think I'm close with in real life. I only began recently when I joined the Afro bloggers. Right. But I don't know, but on social media, sometimes it's like, is the beef between the Yoruba people and the Igbo people. Yeah. Can you explain why? All right. So, or is it both traditional private stuff? No. That made me laugh. No. Okay. So, so like there are three major tribes in Nigeria, as you've mentioned. We have the Yoruba, we have the Igbo, we have the Awusa. Now, before colonialism, um, they were distinct people like with various tradition, like different custom. So for example, the Awusas, they are more like they are predominantly Muslims and um, they are more conservative. And then they are, it's like a more centralized system of governance. So they have like a, someone on top that kind of controls the people that, that kind of way. Now in the Yoruba part of the then it wasn't a country. The Yoruba people, it's more decentralized, but not totally decentralized. So they usually have a king, but it's more um, like it's not. So they are like multiple kings, if you may, if you may kind of understand that. So in the north, there's like one king, one head, but in Yoruba, they are like multiples. Then Igbo is the most decentralized. There is no king it's more democratic oh. yes they are more democratic in the way they did things so when the colonial masters oh. came they kind of just bonded everyone together and you know nigeria is like a big country in terms of population so they just bonded everyone together and then they they started their indirect system of governance now oh. but this also there was problem with it because it was very successful in the north it was partially successful in the west and it was not oh, successful yeah. in the East. It wasn't successful in the East. So this kind of brought some problems. And so when we entered into 1960, when we were gaining our independence, the British kind of gave power to the North. So then that, <laughs> now, that now leads us to the Civil War. Now in the Civil War, was it's very interesting because the Civil War still kind of it's like still, we, we can trace some of the problems we have to this back to the civil war. So in the civil war, it was the Easterners wanting to 
cannot secede from the country. They wanted to leave the country because there was this kind of infighting between the North and the East in which there was a massacre, the first school and all. And, but they were, and then it was the not, it was a northerner, Yakubugo one, that was the head of state then. So the dynamics between the North and the East were kind of fishy. But then there is one caveat. The head of one, one federal cabinet was someone from the West who was a political guy. He had always run for, for, for political office. It's like one of the key guys in the West. His name is Obafemi Awolowo. Now, the Igbos accused him of being the key man that said that there should be no passage of food from Nigeria as a country to Biafra, the guys that were trying to secede. And because of oh, that... Oh, about the Biafra. Yes, so because of well, that... It is only from a book. Sorry, I was going to say only from a book before you think I know much. <laughs> I think Half of the Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi. Exactly. So Chimamanda is from the East. Shino Ashebe is from the East. So the East are, have produced like very great intellectual because they are kind of very... They are very resourceful. So the East are known for business, very successful business people, very diverse people. They kind of come to Lagos. Lagos is in the West, but it's like a cosmopolitan city. And then they thrive so much in Lagos. But anyways, that's like some of the issues. So, so the thing is that from 1960 till today, someone from the East is yet to be president which is something that is still raises question that why is it that an Easterner is not yet president? But because yeah. I feel like the Easterner, they are still... Yeah. But the Easterner... Also, it would be good for diversity. Yes. But the Easterners, people still see them with kind of some suspicious... So they are kind of suspicious <laughs> of them, especially people from the North. So that's like the dynamics... Irrespective of everything, though, I think Nigeria has produced some of the most intellectual people we have representing Africa globally. And also, most of my favorite African writers are Nigerian because you guys are insanely talented. Yeah, I, I guess it's more with the number. <laughs> when you have so <laughs> many people, like the handful of talents will be more. True, because in Lesotho, we only have about two point something. I think 2.142 million people. Yeah, so like Lagos is bigger than Lesotho, so you can understand. As a country. Right. So, but Nigerians are kind of like very resilient people, so to say. And then sometimes they can be so proud, <laughs> especially when dealing with other African countries. I feel like sometimes we are kind of pompous and that is causing some bad, bad blood with other Africans sometimes. Anyways, thanks a lot for taking out time to speak to me about Lesotho. I learned so much about your country and thanks a lot for being open to also learn about my country, Nigeria. Love you so much. <laughs>